0: What's up, everybody? This is Michael. Hi, this is Yemisi.
1: And there's Tonya here.
0: Okay, guys. Welcome to our very, very first episode of the Untangled Podcast. Uh, We dropped a mini episode not a full episode just an introductory episode so this is our first episode and this episode like almost all our episodes will feature uncensored uh, candid opinions and conversations from you know various aspects from everyday people Uh, We like to put out this this disclaimer that we are not experts, we are just everyday regular people that uh, have decided to come together and just to talk about things and issues that on a normal day, people simply gloss over it or people are engaging, you know, the very basic level without digging deeper. So we are the Untangled team and this is our first episode. This episode is going to address a lot of things but particularly about systemic racism and we had the untangled live session last week sunday and the after show so a huge chunk of this episode will be coming from the recording from the after show which we will plug in in a moment but first yams toye What's going on with you guys? How are you guys? Before, oh, we, talk been... the, before we talk about the episode and systemic racism, I think uh-huh. how are you? it's ideal to you know, see how you guys are doing.
2: <laughs> I know, especially since we all three of us live in different countries, it's definitely good to touch base with each other. I'm doing okay, actually. I'm preparing for my sister's wedding. Um, I'm going to be a bridesmaid. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited to wear the dress and do my makeup and play dress up. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm expecting some friends from out of town. It's going to be a fun weekend.
0: Awesome. That's amazing. So, yeah, how are you doing? Nice. I haven't got any big events planned like <gasps> Ian's has. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I was, 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 was thinking that maybe you're, you're about to get married or something, that you oh, were just drop it. it.
1: Not well. yet, <laughs> I wish I could drop that there as well, um, but I've not got a big weekend planned, I'm, just, um, I'm doing good, I'm, you know, coasting into the, the rest of the week, um, tomorrow's Friday and then you've got the weekend, mm. um, just, you know, planning to just relax, take, put my feet up and just chill, I'm, I'm feeling good, I'm feeling excited to, to talk about this podcast, I'm feeling good about this, i um, feeling energized, um, yeah, just nice. good to see your faces as well, so I, I am
0: good. <laughs> yeah so for people that are listening in on the pod uh listening to this this is the podcast but we are actually recording this over a live uh video uh call uh like you said we're in like three different uh uh countries continents actually and uh we are coming together to talk about something that really affects all of us as black people because we are all black <clears throat> um we are not only African, but we are black. And um, this affects all of us, and it cuts across board. As long as you're a black person on this planet, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jay-Z or Beyonce. Even Jay-Z said, did that thing, that song. There was there's a Jay-Z song about um, uh, the story of OJ. I think that's the title of the song. And even Kanye said, even if you're in a bench, you're still a... The N-word, you said the N-word. Mm-hmm. So this, this affects every single black person on the planet. It's, it's a topic that in, uh, in, the midst, in the last one month, this conversation has gotten bigger. This conversation has been blown the hell up. Because of all that is going on and it feels like black people are now saying enough is enough. And it's also important for us to understand systemic racism, which is why we decided to engage in that conversation and to bring uh, someone that is really, really experienced when it comes to the topic and when it comes to Black Lives Matter to come on Untangled Life and talk about this. But I'm just going to shut up now and allow the two of you to share your thoughts on um, what do you think about systemic racism? Uh, what's your understanding based on the previous conversations that we've had and uh, the conversations with Ladell, and also the after show which we will plug in in a moment? What are your thoughts? Um, we can ramble at this point. It can be all over the place. <laughs> Remember, people, we are just everyday people having conversations. So, Tony, so yeah, I'm going to start with
1: you. Okay, thank you. Um, yes, like you said, Mike, this is a topic that cuts across all of the black communities, wherever you are, wherever you are, whatever you look like, um, wherever you may be. This is something that cuts across. Each and every one of us i mean i could take it a step further and say it cuts across the white communities as well is this is this really a world yes. they want to live in do they mm. want to live in a world where black people feel this way that is the values they stand up for but that's mm. another that's another topic and that's probably one for another day but currently it's it's a probably it's a, it's a topic that, that 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 focuses on the black people and says black lives matter um, and systemic racism really we brought the well-informed Ladell to come and you know join us on this conversation I had a really good time speaking to him I was well informed from him Um, I think we enjoyed the after show as well and all the input he brought he gave us the historical view of these things you know starting from the slavery period where black people were not equal to white people um, and slavery was legalized he moved on to to that um, that period. And then we moved on to the reconstruction period where, okay, people realized that they had made some mistakes and tried to reconstructure the black society and try to help them out again and bring them back to equal places. Um, But that was all all, all, um, unraveled by the Jim Crow um, laws and Jim Crow period where they started bringing things like separate but equal um, um, philosophies into society. So that didn't work well as well. And then, you know, it, it moved on to the civil rights movement that are synonymous with um, Malcolm X and, and Martin Luther King. Um, so all of that's passed on from generations to generations. That bias is now embedded within different systems of society that are here to help us that are here to govern us as people. So people in America, people in the UK, people everywhere else in the world are governed by systems that continually discriminates and, bias, and, and is biased against them. The criminal justice system, um, the police enforces, um, the healthcare systems, the educational system, the housing, you know all of the basic things that Black people need to survive to give themselves a better life, to move on, to thrive, to give themselves more, more wealth within their communities. They're discriminated against, and they don't have the chances, opportunities to get the best out of those systems. I'll hand over to you,
2: um so um, w- wow that that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot. He basically he basically <laughs> gave us a recap
0: of 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 the entire uh, conversation yes. with Ladell. If you guys missed that conversation, I think you should really go on our Instagram, go on our Instagram stories sorry, Instagram IGTV. It's, uh, it's a one hour long conversation between uh, Tonya and Ladell. And um, uh, you can get all the scoop, all the history and everything. Uh, Tonya just did like a summary of the conversation. So go and our Instagram is at ontangirl. So I'm going to spell that out at U-N-T-A-N dot G-L-E-D. So always remember the dots. Once you t- yes. uh, type the ontan there is a dot and then go G-L-E-D.
2: So, um, yes, and our logo is also purple and um, green. <laughs> <laughs> our logo is also popping. But, yes, um, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to
0: ask you what systemic racism is, but I want you to, um, uh, because you live in America, so I want you to, More or less, tell me about scenarios where you know you've experienced some sort of racism or some sort of um where you've seen it play out or where you've heard it play out if you've not had like a first-hand experience in terms of you in terms of like your everyday interaction with people and everyday life.
2: Well, um, part of the things that we discussed with Ladelle was uh, actually also. Um, how he can help us as um, African immigrants who come from a predominantly black nation to understand how systemic racism plays out. And I said, say that here because when you say how has it played out in the past, that is something that you, I may not be able to um, fully give a personal mm-hmm. experience about because it goes over my head, right? It's not mm-hmm. necessarily my reality because it's not something that I'm used to. But when you when you see when you the way it's, the way the way I understand it and the way I think that I've seen it in some places is where in jobs you know when people who are um, of a certain or who are black are not necessarily promoted as high as some other people or when you see upper management and you realize that there's literally no black person there. Or when you see that, um, you know, uh, Black people live in predominantly poor neighbourhoods, when you see in terms of um, what um, ISDs look like in terms of schools and how schools are funded and how that trickles down to, um, uh, you know, the taxes that are being paid to fund those schools and how that also tr- trickles down to what kind of people live in an area where the schools are not necessarily getting enough funding. and what is the color of their skin. Mm. So those different systems feed into each other. I spoke to somebody who works in the healthcare industry and she was telling me how for over um, 10 years in a company where they're mostly, where they're all scientists, there was only one black person who had worked there for over 10 years. And then she Mm. got into the company and she became the second black person. Now, as soon as she came in, she spoke to her boss. Her boss now started hiring two or three other black people. So now they're about eight. But the question for her was: are we saying that there were no competent black people who were scientists before she came on board and started, you know, talking to them about mm-hmm. hiring more black people? Mm-hmm. So those are the ways in which it plays out. And a lot mm-hmm. of times it's a it's not it's not something that some white people plan. Yeah, they don't ahead and try to plan, oh, I'm going to be systematically racist to the next mm-hmm. person, but I think there's something, there's something that's, that's, that feeds into their fear of Black people that comes from the media. And because of that, they automatically yes, who, who controls
0: the, who controls the media? Sorry, I'm interjecting. Who controls the media? When we're talking about the media, who controls the media? I believe that there was a time that I shared something about, you know, the uh, Fortune 500 companies, the people in Congress, the people are like, leadership positions. It's almost like when we're talking about media, an example is like The Bachelor. The Bachelor has not had a black uh, lead, I think. And then there was yeah. a petition before they now decided to get a black lead. So, Devar, is it... 18 seasons or 16, I could be wrong here, but they've had like so many seasons and they've not had a black lead. And we've also seen that thing with tokenism where they, yeah. <laughs> where, where, where they, you know, take one black person and that black person will represent every other black person you know represent the entire community but i think we are actually going deeper into this conversation i think we should plug in the (laughs) the (laughs) the after show uh guys this is how we enter into our conversations and before we know it we are on the phone or on a call for seven hours or three hours or four hours just going back and forth so this is a podcast Michael, this is a podcast. Yeah, remember, remember this is, a podcast. is a podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, remember, this is a podcast. Definitely. But before, before we plug into uh, the, the after show, <clears throat> I wanted to, there was something that, uh, that I saw and it really made a lot of sense. Maybe when we come back, we will address the difference between racism and systemic racism because there is a thin line. It's pretty much the same, but there is a thin line. Um, But I wanted to share this with you guys. I'm not sure that I've shared it. Uh, So this is like an infographic that, excuse me, that highlights the four dimensions of racism. So the first dimension is structural racism. And under structural, it's stated that multiple institutions collectively upholding racist policies and practices. Example, the society. Then there is the institutionalized racism, which is policies and practices that reinforce racist standard within a workplace organization. Then there is interpersonal racism, that's racist acts and microaggression carried out from one person to another. Then there is internalized racism, the subtle and overt messages that reinforce negative beliefs and self-hatred in individuals. So I'm just going to drop that thought with, every, <laughs> with you guys. Let's plug in the audio from the after show. Firstly, uh, Kiki is trying to talk about the role of the, um, the justice system, I guess whether the overall role
3: has been on the positive or negative side? Yeah, I answered that question, and I said okay. overall, I think it's been on the negative side, mm-hmm. um, and I'm concerned that it's getting more negative. Um, and that has to do with who sits on courts, mm. and duration, um, that people sit you know, on court. And I also believe at this moment in time, our courts are becoming politicized, which is very dangerous.
0: Mm. Okay, I'm not sure if you answered this because I had to come here and set up this live. Um, Something about, Glad asked the question about outside of clear employment and corporate discrimination, what other forms of racism is still active in the United States?
3: Well, I think it's um, the, the answer to that question is it almost exists in every facet of life. But I think it's easiest to think about in a couple of core buckets, which, is, which are um, health care, which we spoke about, education, which we spoke about, um, government, uh, which we spoke about and particularly policing, um, which you know, we also talked about. But the reason why I, used, I made the comment earlier in the, um, in the discussion about pervasive racism is because of what exists you know, in each of us, the bias that exists, and how we allow those, ba- um, those biases to impact how we interact Um, with others Um, so it's almost hard to think of a sphere of life where racism doesn't play a role
0: Mm. Mm. so it cascades into very other aspects of life
3: correct it does
0: Um, do you see if if we experience victory let's say in the united states how do you see that uh, trickling down to other communities and other areas of the world, let's say, for instance, how do you see the um, victory when it comes to uh, something like inclusion and representation of Black people, if we get that and if we dismantle this systemic racism, for instance, in the United States, how do you see that um, affecting other countries and other communities?
3: Well, um, so I think we would have to define what victory is.
0: Right. But let's,
3: but let's just assume that we could wave a magic wand
0: mm-hmm.
3: and eliminate systemic racism in America and also eliminate the outcomes, I mean, sorry, the, um, the impact of systemic racism up until this point in time. Then I think America would be what Ronald Reagan professed it to be, which is the light on the hill. Because then I think rather than countries looking at America and saying, you say one thing, and we recognize that you are a global economic powerhouse but your practices and your policies reflect something else. So we're not really buying into what you're selling. I think people would start to kind of buy into what we're selling. And it would encourage other societies to um, want to make the necessary improvements to achieve that standard. Because what's happening now is countries around the world are looking at other societies and determining, all right, well, what are they really excellent at? And they are trying to develop, you know, the systems in order to help their countries achieve, you know, that outcome in that particular area, such as whether it's looking at the Swedish in education, you know, and healthcare, looking at the Chinese and global productivity um, and so on and so forth. So I think that's what could happen. Um, But I think we have to start with what is victory first.
0: What is victory to you?
3: So for me, I think victory is when, first of all, we've closed the economic gaps that exist between Groups in society. And this is just not Black versus everybody else. You know, we need to kind of close the gaps that exist across the economic gaps that exist across all members of society. I think that would be victory thing number one. Number two is that everybody really does have the opportunity to increase the standard of living from wherever they may start. Um, and that is cuts across obviously, you know, the areas that we spoke about, education, healthcare, um, employment. You can really be what you desire, you know, to be. And there are no roadblocks towards you achieving that. And then last but not least, we all embody the golden rule, which is we treat people exactly how we would want uh, to be treated.
0: Mm. Do you think that we will achieve that in this lifetime?
3: Um, Probably not in my lifetime. Um, Mm. But I do think that younger people have a different... Younger people have a different way of thinking um, and they may make more advances than we are capable of i mean that that i can even envision and understand right Mm. so my hope and prayer is that it does happen um but i choose at this point to try to work towards making it happen Mm. and be satisfied you know with doing that
0: So Benga uh, indicated that he wanted to say something, so I'm just going to unmute you, Benga, so you can ask your question or you can share your feedback. There are a couple of other comments in the chat section and we're going to get back to that, but Benga, go ahead. We, we can't we
4: can't hear you, Gwenga. your audio is. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, great. Yeah. So, two-part question. Um, great job, Adele. What What I was asking is, how do you think the systemic racism in in the U.S. um plays out in other countries? So how? How do, especially African countries? How do Africans look at themselves based on the systemic racism that that um, occurs in the in the U.S. And the second question is, how then, what then is the responsibility, or what can, what part do Africans own, African countries, African citizens own, in helping solve the the race, racial issues globally um, by creating a, a better a um, a better Africa where people can look up to more, right? So if I look at, like, Asian countries and how, how they're risen and how you see less racism um, against Asians, is there...
1: We've lost Bingo again.
3: Yeah.
1: Adel, did you get any bit of that question?
3: I did, and I think it's a very valuable question, and it's related to one that came up on the chat. Um, So here's what I would love for the role. uh, So the first part of the question, which is related to something that's on the chat, is that one of the things that the U.S. exports is racism um, and classism. The U.S. is basically showing the world that you can have and sustain a very brutal form of capitalism that will allow overall national GDP economic development to occur of which there can be a few winners and lots of people who are losers and some people in the middle that do just okay and that will be an acceptable society. Um, And as a result of that, we are also exporting stereotypes about black people. Now, what I believe, Sub-Saharan African countries can do is to show that black people have the capacity to develop high potential societies and when people see that right just like when I visited Nigeria, the second time and I went to a board meeting. uh, We were pitching a deal at Fidelity Bank and we had a meeting with the board. And when I met my father-in-law at the airport, I was like, hey, I just went to this board meeting. The CEO was Black. All of the directors were Black. We we're talking about doing this, you know, GDR offering. It's going to work. You know, Daddy, this is so exciting. Black people coming together. And he was just kind of like, uh, Liddell, you're in a Black country. Everybody's <laughs> Black. Like, and we make decisions. this is this is life man Mm. you know but for me it wasn't a reality and so I think if you know African societies develop Mm. economically and socially where you are role model societies for the rest of the world it will change our way of thinking we might have a reverse migration problem (laughs) <laughs> Where now we're looking to, you know, claim rights and to go back to countries that, you know, we feel like we were historically taken away from. You yeah. can, it could even be like that. And I would love to see that happen. Yeah. Right? I would love to.
1: It's about it's about perception, isn't it? And the perception has remained for a long time. Amount of time. And if, like you say, if, if, if African countries develop and, and change the perception or grow to countries that are economically, um, economic giants using their resources to, to get better outcomes for themselves, and people will start to pay attention, it's almost like Africa earning her respect um, on the world stage. And that will then, by implicit, impact the lives of African Americans or Black British people everywhere in the world because it's almost That's like. True you know, it's by extension that, that that respect is then granted. Absolutely.
0: So there was a question that was sent to me privately. Um, I'm just going to read it. impact of racism on family life slash structures, etc. cetera. Um, so to add to that question, um, uh, that's one leg of the question. The second leg, I will add my own question would be, do you think, because we have this, um, from where I'm from there is this general perception of uh, today's Father's Day of Black fathers not you know taking responsibility or not that narrative of, you know, the black father, like a lot of our um, single mothers, that there are lots of single mothers and a lot of black kids that are being raised without a father figure in their life. Do you think that racism has played a role in that? And of course, the first leg of the question was the impact of racism on family life and structure.
3: Sure, so um, I'll start with the second question, the second part of the question first, the answer is yes. And again, it has its roots in slavery. If you break a family apart for centuries, you can't just automatically um, change the impact of that history and way, and the way you know subsequent generations like think of the family model. So now one of the beauties of the black family model is we believe in this concept of extended family, right? But one of the negatives is that throughout our history, the family has been broken so much. We also are comfortable with, you know, people pulling themselves out of families. Um, And people having, you know, outside relationships, uh, you know, from the core family, people neglecting their children. And also you combine that with the level of education and oppression that has occurred. Some people aren't in a position to actually be a father. Um, And I think this is an opportunity for, again, members of the black community where you see gaps like that happening to step in, and to help children and to help families. Now going to the first question, I think um, the answer is the same way that racism impacts an individual, it impacts a black family. And when you talk about over-policing, that has an impact on the family because a husband or wife may be prematurely arrested and incarcerated for a long period of time. And when you are incarcerated, you lose certain rights. You know, when you try to rejoin society and be able to support your family, you're not. You're going to have a difficult time getting meaningful employment. You're going to have a difficult time getting a loan to buy a house or a car. Uh, you're going to have a difficult time getting a job that offers health insurance benefits, and all of these go to destruct the ability of a family to grow. Um, So it's all interrelated, um, but the end of the outcome is that Black families have a more difficult time achieving the level of prosperity than white families. There's a Washington Post article that was published on June 4th for anybody that wants to look at it. And the status of black wealth in America is the same as it was in 1968.
1: That I means no progress has been made for 80 years, 80, 80 sort of years now, or 60 years. Um, yeah. Whilst another or other races have been accumulating more wealth, you know, the, the 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 world is like a global village now, there's there's so much capitalism has changed the way the world works and lots of other communities can accumulate wealth through lots of means you know but the black Mm -hmm. communities have stayed the same since 68 it's a very you know you need stability to be able to accumulate wealth in many cases you know you need you need inheritance you need family who can pass on knowledge you need businesses to be passed on you know you need you know education those kind of things and if you don't have any of those things then how can you accumulate wealth
3: yes and yes I don't know if you all can see my screen. Uh, I'm going to um, just show something quickly in this Washington Post article. Oh, I just posted the
0: uh, link to that on the- Okay, on the, even on better. That. Yes.
3: Even <clears throat> better, I'll do that.
0: I just posted it so you might not need to-
3: Oh, okay, thank
0: you. Yes. So our, for, to everyone, post is, the link is there on the chat. Um, so there is a, another question about economic power on the chat. I don't know if you um, saw it, but I'm just going to read it. There is a belief that racism has a lot to do. This is by Glad. There is a belief that racism has a lot to do with economic power. Uh, what is your view? If you believe that, how can we improve economic inclusion of black people outside of corporate America, specifically improving the chances of success, the chances of success of black people?
3: Um, The short answer to that question is yes. Um, I personally believe that one of the ways to combat racism is economic prosperity. because I, I like to think that if LeBron James is pulled over by the police, he is likely to have a different outcome or experience than myself. And the reason why is because he's achieved such stature,
5: mm-hmm.
3: right, including wealth, that we know he's LeBron James. Don't mess with him. This guy, Liddell Robbins, you maybe can put your knee on his neck, right? Um, And I think that it should be the focus, especially if you look at this Washington Post article, which um, was kindly shared, that as we achieve economic power, it will help things fall into place. Um, One of the things that I believe that the Lord has asked me to do coming out of everything that has transpired, is to speak out about how we can help close this wealth gap. Um, I think that corporations, as well as the federal government, have a responsibility to reinvest in the Black community to help improve some of the situation which they caused in the first place. I also believe that as part of that investment, we need to build Black owned businesses that are capable of employing other Black people and teaching them how to become successful business folks so that we can break this dynamic where, you know, since the Civil Rights Act, we've had minimal accumulation of wealth. Um, And I think that what we can do now is we can help in our own capacity, small black businesses get off the ground. That's financially, as well as strategically with support that we might be able to offer coming out of whatever sphere, you know, of um, um, life, you know, we operate in, we all have something to add to help you know, black businesses, even if it's just buying more black.
0: Hmm. Um, I can see Prudence, uh, you um, raised your hand, so I'm going to unmute you so you can ask your question or share your feedback or you know,
5: Prudence? Thank you. Sorry. Hi. Hi, Ladell. Hey,
3: Prudence, nice to hear your voice.
5: Nice to hear from you as well. Listen, um, you mentioned the value of um, understanding history in in terms of helping us with a way forward. And you also mentioned our schools are selective in essentially what, what they teach. I'm just thinking of my own personal experience. I grew up in apartheid South Africa, but it was only until I was 16 did I actually get to see and understand what was happening in my own country? And maybe it's the nature of the school I went to, the, the protection and the sheltering that was there. But, one of, but history, the history that was covered there was about his, Hitler, World War, and the Berlin Wall. So when I think of history, that's all I remember learning. So I just want to know, as a parent, what do you think, um, at what point do we start teaching our children about the history that we know and the history or the, or the, the history of, of Black people and the, the situation that we find ourselves in. And to what extent do we teach them? So that, I mean, I'd hate to have a negative outcome, a child having such a negative view of the world. But essentially, I also think it's important that they understand um, what Black people go through.
3: Yeah, well, I'll say this. Um, I'm not a parent presently. I aspire to be a parent someday, but I think it starts very early. And I think it's how you present the information, but the information must be shared. Um, Because just because your history is um, one set of facts, your outcome can be a certain, a different set of facts. Um, And so I think, and certainly when I become a parent, I am going to take steps to educate um, my children at a very early age in life about, you know, where we come from. But the point of that is that we must emphasize And it's the same thing that the guidance counselor told me is that when you look at your history, you come from a place of strength, right? You are standing on a platform of people that have paid tremendous sacrifice for you to be here today. That is a platform of excellence that you must stand from and you must continue to deliver excellence out of respect for the sacrifices, you know, that have been paid. Um, but it, it requires care um, to make sure that you don't, that that part of the message is what gets reinforced and not that you should walk with timidity you know, yeah. or be afraid. Mm.
6: Yeah.
5: yeah, okay, thank you. So,
0: I think I have something to add to that. Um, uh, For the most part, the the prudence we experience, I experienced because I grew grew up and uh, schooled in uh, Nigeria, so I experienced the same thing. Uh, A lot of our history um, was left out or a lot of like the African history. It's only now um, or a couple of years ago that I really started investing my time and energy into educating myself when it comes to African history, uh, history of black people. Um, for the most part, I also think that even when the history is being told, it always starts from the transatlantic slave trade, but uh, the African history is way beyond that, it's way larger than that. We are more than slavery, we are more than that era. No matter how dark that era, um, the darkness represents that area. We have more than that sector, that area, or that time and space. Um, We have an entire history before the transatlantic slave trade. We had um, the richest man ever in human history was African. He is from. He was from Mali. Um, We have Africans that you know constructed the pyramids. So we have we have the Benin Kingdom. So we have all of this amazing history. All of this amazing. um, There was an entire civilization, so I think that the education should not just start from the transatlantic slave trade when it comes into picture. It should start from before the transatlantic slave trade, telling it from that angle paints a better or fuller picture of who we are as a people up to this point. I agree.
1: I think. Um, I was just going to add to what Michael just said, which is great. Um, and I think to add to that, you know, most of the reasons why history isn't taught in African schools, uh, for example, in Nigeria, um, we know that we inherited the educational curriculum of our colonial masters, which were the British. So if the British educational curriculum didn't include teaching kids about slavery, then African Nigerian teachers wouldn't teach kids about slavery. So it's it's going to the source and looking for those places where so as long as parents, as well as parents teaching their kids at home and educating them, you also, you pay a lot of money to send kids to school. You know, they, that's where, they spend most of their time in school. So they should be learning a lot from school as well. We, you're, you're being treated if they don't learn, especially like you said, Ladelle, that there, there's so much sacrifice that has been made by, you know, ancestors in many places. And that, that sacrifice is one of excellence. So it, it's, it's also lobbying and, being, and holding our leaders accountable. You know, we've got education education ministers in every country in Africa, and holding them accountable and saying, "What's your educational curriculum? Why doesn't it touch on slavery? Why doesn't it, you know, why why has it not been revised since we inherited this? You know, is, are you still teaching the educational curriculum that we inherited in the 60s? This is the year 2020. Why is it not revised? And holding them accountable and saying, deliver on this. Um, mm. Putting the right people in power who have this kind of mindset that know that these things need to be changed, um, because we are just continually making you know, repeating generation after generation, of people without knowledge, and it puts the onus on individuals like Michael, like you, like like they're like like prudence to go and find that information yourself at a later age. Um, so, w- when you should have been able to learn it from a younger age, um, and if if that's in, if that's in, you know, between a couple of years, you start seeing the mentality change. You start seeing people understand the significance of their history because they're picking bits and pieces of it at school, they're discussing with their peers, they're debating it lively like we are doing right now. Um, the debating is a very young age, so they are, they are progressing their knowledge quicker, efficiently.
3: Yeah. Well, everyone, I uh, completely agree, and I definitely agree with, we should even go back before slavery and the slave trade um, to understand, you know, the powerful societies that, were, that existed You know, going back centuries beforehand um, because that's part of our heritage. Um, I apologize, but I'm going to have to leave to another conference call. Uh, I told them that I'd just be a few minutes late. Um, So I apologize that I can't stay on longer. Um, But um, I just do want to thank you all for giving me this opportunity to share. And um, I've learned something today as well. And. God bless you all. I really appreciate uh, this opportunity, and happy Father's Day, you know, to everyone.
0: Thank Same you, Ladell. You. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for such thank a great education um, Thank you. Thank you, Ladell. All right. Thank you all. Take care. Thank you. Catch okay. you later. Um, Uchenna, you wanted to speak. Um, so we're going to continue this session for another. Um, we're going to uh, end the after show in another 20 something minutes so if you have any questions contributions and then uh, you can share we're also going to uh, have a quick preview of what we're going to be discussing uh, next week sunday
7: but Uchena, over to you thanks um hi everyone so what was really interesting well one of the things that was interesting that ladell mentioned was how there's a there should be an emphasis on creating black-owned businesses, uh, creating black <coughs> wealth and also supporting them. And I think in terms of and he also mentioned how um, you know Africa and African nations have a responsibility of creating societies which are, you know, not only praiseworthy, but also which societies across the world will look up to. Um, you know which would lead to then reverse migration potentially but I think part of doing that as well is uh, within Africa um, and you know Nigeria I speak about Nigeria because I work there a lot is about supporting local brands and local businesses and I'm complicit in helping western brands uh, which are not black owned get value out of Africa so basically I'm helping basically the commercial version of the slave trade, even though the slave trade was a commercial thing anyway. I'm helping Western brands basically sell their products within Africa and then you know extract that wealth from there and put it somewhere else. And I feel that maybe you know that, that's something that we need to do more in Nigeria is, you know, champion support local brands, make better local brands. And uh, so that wealth actually stays within the country, at at least, and that helps to grow uh, wealth there. And then hopefully that somehow ends back up in the economy and raises prosperity over there is a a thought that I wanted to discuss.
4: Hmm.
0: Like I totally agree, I completely agree. And even uh, like Ladell said, across all, uh, basically across all communities, Uh, just supporting black owned businesses and black businesses and black people. Um, Better our our chances of getting to that place economically as a people. Um, You also posted something on the chat about, um, uh, given that the US is such a pop culture machine slash executive producer and and it exports this globally, do you feel that in some ways racism is also becoming or has been an export crop to the rest of the world? Yeah. Can tell you, do you want to answer that? <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> yeah. Um. It's it's almost inevitable, right? Um, Pop culture, Hollywood, um, it's the ideas and the propaganda that, you know, some of this is propaganda, some of it is actual fact. um, But, you know, it's mixed with, with reality and fiction. But if we, if most of the world watches Hollywood, if most of the world gets the ideas, there's something called soft power. And it's about, you know, doing things that, it's about making others do things that you do or enjoy things that you like. So you just realize that, you know, as a child growing up, you suddenly like Nickelodeon you like um, Bugs Bunny, you suddenly just like those things um, because that's just all you've known. That's all just what you've watched growing up. Um, But it does not mean there's not an alternative there, 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 you know, African dolls. There are also African cartoons. There's also, you know, there's other things that there's an alternative, for example, for a child who never grew up with TV or radio, he'd like all the things, you know, he'd like playing with pebbles, He'd like playing with stone, he'd, he'd create clay mods and all those things. Um, and that's, you know, that's creativity and beauty in itself. So there's always an alternative, but, but through watching or through, you know, the U S being such a global power and exporting things like that. Um, then we all of a sudden like those things, you know. We we never really have the chance to go back and assess why do we like these things? Um, how have I have, how have I got? Where did I get this idea from? It's mostly from the things that we we um, digest from from the US or from from other global powers, uh, and and that's one way of them exerting yeah, their their soft power. You know, there was there was the the Cold War after the Second World War where Russia and America were fighting a lot um, to to. Gain countries. So the US wanted, you know, everyone to have democratic systems and capitalism as, as their system in place, while Russia wanted people to have communism um, uh, as the system of, of getting governments in place. And that's just, you know, these two countries that were the world power after the Second World War, that were the winners of the, of the Second World War, as we would say, exerting their influence and trying to gain more countries within themselves. So Russia captured most of the Eastern European countries. Um, they were all within the Russian influence. They, you know, singing Russian songs. Um, their language is very similar. Um, drinking Russian drinks, you know, whilst most of other African countries and, and, you know, South America were captured by, by the US. And, and there was this continuous tension, this battle between those two world powers. Even in Nigeria, there was a 1967 um, Biafra war where Russia supported the Biafrans and the or supply them Kalashnikov weapons like ak forty sevens and things like that. Um and the US, you know, slightly supported or or, or the UK slightly supported the Nigerian government. So it, it was it's just this continuously and it happens in many other countries where people are trying to exert their power, exert their systems. And once you employ their systems within your government, then you're likely to
7: um fall in line. And I think even before that, part of you know how the British moved through Africa, I think a lot of power is exerted through religion as well. I think, you know, using, you know, because, you know, for the North, there was a sort of uh, progress of um, Islam, right? Even though it had different variations and different permutations in the North. But Catholicism, that was used very much so as a way of extending uh, British. French power through, through Africa as well. So it's, a, it's been a game which has been played for a very long time. Can I just say one more thing and then I'll shut up. I think, so I, I studied semiotics a little bit at university, which is the sort of study of signs and symbols. And I think, and I'll use the example of cartoons. And I noticed when I look at cartoons I, I grew up with, even like, if you look at who the heroes are, typically they're white, right? Male, white. And even if you've got a, and there's very rarely a black hero on the goodies side. And if there is, the black hero is often shaped as a as a beast or an other. Um, and you'll notice that they're black in the sense that the voice is very African American. Uh, and you'll see that also as the enemies are often an other and it has a voice and a look, which is uh, very different to the normalised or standardised white image. And one thing, and I really will share the wrap for this, and one thing I heard, I'm not sure if it's true, but I heard that in China, a lot of American films used to be censored and what they used to do was scrub out, anytime Chinese people were shown as the villains, they would scrub it out and put in a North Korean instead, so that (laughs) mentally, as a nation, you wouldn't be moved into that thought process mm-hmm. of Chinese us always being bad and always yeah. being wrong. And I think mm-hmm. that goes to what Liddell was saying about, you know, black people sometimes have negative images of themselves as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's all part of that experience that they've gone through, what we've gone through globally.
1: Consumption. Yeah. I mean there's okay. lots of censorship in China. Um and they don't watch uh, you know, they have their own Facebook, you know, Weibo. Um, they have their own, their own systems. You remember the Cuban Missile Crisis as well. And Cuba is so close to America and America couldn't really understand why Cuba was friends with Russia when we're so close to you um, and Fidel Castro and all that. But yeah,
0: it's yeah. part of it. Yeah. Um, so this brings us uh um, which and I—I I don't know if you figured it out yet—we're <laughs> we grinning. Um, this brings us closer to what we are going to talk about next week because next week we want to—we um, we don't have an actual title yet, but this is the—the um, the idea. This is what we want to explore. We want to explore um, our our local spirituality or African spirituality, or maybe in the context of Nigeria, Nigerian spirituality has been demonized. And, you know, what has really uh, gone down in the demonizing of African spirituality or, you know, African deities. And even in our movies, uh, in the context of Nollywood, Nollywood movies, if you look at Nollywood, all of the Nollywood that I know, Yemi says of a different opinion, because she's, Says that Yoruba movies are not like that, that they do, they do the balance. <laughs> but all of the Nollywood movies that I know is always a battle of um, the, the Christian God and our gods or deities or high priests and casting and binding. And the African spirituality or African religion is always the evil one, it's always the one trying to um, take down people, chop up, chop. Of people's heads and all the negative as- aspects of it comes from um, everything negative is being portrayed when it comes to the African religion or African spirituality and uh, on the flip side the other side of it would be let's say Christianity and you know men of God and they are being glorified and how this has shaped the way that we think shaped the way that we are as Africans, as a people, the way that we see people that are different from us, that maybe might be practicing African spirituality um, or African religions. So we are going to explore all of that topic. We are going to talk about Nollywood's role in all of this. Uh, We are going to talk about how this even came about. Um, you You shared already how, you know, the white people came and you know, decided to spread out religion and they used religion as a big tool in you know, taking away our tradition and breaking us as a people. Because when you take away someone's, our religion and spirituality was deeply rooted in um, our culture uh, and in who we are as a people. So taking that away more or less created a huge divide that re- breaking us away from that and accepting their systems and succumbing to their systems. Uh, so, Nonsa, so I see that you want to say something, but that's what we're going to be talking about. And we want to hear from you, what do you guys think? Uh, where do you stand in all of this? How does the, um, are, are you conflicted when it comes to religion, with, when it comes to African spirituality and African religion, and, you know, uh, for instance, Christianity or uh, Islam? So we want to explore all of that, Uh, but non. So you can, I'm going to unmute you now, so you can share your feedback.
6: Hello, Michael. Hello, everyone. Thank you. This was was a very interesting um, talk. Um, And let me just quickly say something about the whole African religion thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I I agree that yes, very correctly. Um, Unfortunately, we've come to associate um, African religion, traditional religion with evil and in Christianity or Islam with good, which is wrong. Uh, I, I completely agree that, yeah, we, we've made a mistake. We've conflated, the same, they're not the same thing, right? And the reason I said this is because um, I happen to be based in the US, I'm born and raised in Nigeria, I happened to be in the US, based in the US. And I remember my first summer in the US, I, I, was, I came as a student, as a graduate student, and I actually met some Indians. And then when I met them, um, I spent my first summer with them, and I kind of got shocked or <laughs> in a way when I got found that, that way of, they are the, not the, the Christians, they didn't believe in God the way we do, and, they had and I saw that shrine, I, went, I lived in the house for some, I saw that shrine where they worship, and I am like, you guys are so successful, you're doing so well, when I asked, when I asked them, what's this, you know, I saw some of their gods, I kind of Made this some research on the gods, and I saw one of the gods, and I saw it, and I was like, "So, what's the name of this god?" I, I can't remember. He told me the name, but it was like an, with an elephant head and with multiple hands. And the told me, "Oh, this is Chi," because I told him my name is Chinonso, and uh, Chi means God, and things like that. And then, "Oh, this is our own version of Chi." So mm-hmm. it, it got me thinking and saying to myself, "Well, if this world can be this successful, so you know, then why did we kind of... You no, know, it got me thinking like that, you know. And I've seen a lot of non movies, very, but even the name herbalists. Right, you say the name Happiness. You will read books by people who wrote books like Chino Achebe, for example, who lived, you know, wrote books as early as the 1930s. You know, and he talked about his conflict between Christianity and traditional way. But he lived at a time when missionaries were still in Nigeria and treating people,
4: mm-hmm.
6: as, and then um, we who are being um, him being educated um, by Europeans. And he talked. If some of the books he wrote at the time. Like things fall apart, no longer mm-hmm. exists, and some of the other books he wrote at the time, you know, he talked about the way African herbalists. Well, they're not, they're the killing, they were not; they didn't perform. They weren't doing ritualistic killing. When you're sick, there's an elements you. When you get to, you go to the herbalist. He goes to the forest and gets certain um, herbs, mixes, mixes it, and makes a medicine for you, and you get better, mm-hmm. right? So it's, there was this, there was, I remember one particular story about a little girl that took something that was poisonous and was going to kill her. Her mother rushed her to the herbal doctor, and he gave her something, and she threw up, and she vomited the stuff she took. And then mother was like, what did you give her? And then he told her some very strange concussion of like lizard things and some other things. And the mother like, who, who wouldn't throw up when you take something like that? You're like, that was the mm-hmm. point exactly. The point was to irritate your system and make you throw up. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I can say it's a very crude way, but it mm-hmm. worked. The little mm-hmm. girl survived. Right, she didn't die of the poison she took accidentally. She didn't die, and there were other ways. I not that. And if you think about it, Africans, have been around for thousands of years. How are mm-hmm. we surviving? How was our treatment? What kind of? So when you hear the okay. word we always tend to confit Wahabalis, <laughs> witchcraft <Easy>. or wizard <laughs> or demonic or things. Right? They're not the same. That the even the person who invented a malaria drug. There's this Chinese woman who invented a malaria drug. It's not chloroquine, it's one of the malaria drugs that is very, very powerful. She won a Nobel Prize for it. And she, I researched about it and she found. I found out that she actually got the medicine from a traditional Chinese medicine. She yeah. extracted the chief compound, the active ingredient in the traditional Chinese medicine, and then that was the main drug that is used today for treating a lot of, I think it's called atemisin, the name of the medical, the medical name is called atemisin, right? Mm-hmm. So she got it from, so... I always ask myself: Are we not missing out? Are there things that we've missed out as Africans mm. that we haven't because we just swallowed everything hook, line, and sinker the Europeans <laughs> thought us? Right? I'm not saying Europeans are bad; they've done a lot of good things. The reason why I really don't really agree with the whole concept of oh, um, we got brainwashed by Christianity. If you look, if Richard Notchewo's book, some of his books, one of the reasons why a lot of people like if you look about, read about the in things for the, past. the reason mm-hmm. why his son, he had a son who left the traditional way and joined missionaries and became a Christian was because of some of the practices of Okonkwo himself and even if you read some other books, some, some of the traditional practices of the Africans were very wicked to even fellow Africans and so eventually the Africans kind of moved over to. Um, the, the Christian way, and it, this, this the, the, the missionaries were very smart. You know, mm-hmm. they tried to say, "Oh, our own God won't stop you guys from harvesting your yams at a particular time. You can harvest your yams. We've prayed over the land. you can go and harvest your yams. will happen to you." you no, know, it, it was a very interesting story. I don't want to talk too much, go too much because that's sorry for another next week. But the main reason why, sorry, just one last thing. The main reason why I actually raised my hand initially was just um, a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine. His name is Ade, um, Ade Boyega He's a Nigerian-American, born and raised in America. I met him here. Very good, close friend of mine, ha- very high achieving individual. And I'm hoping, I've, I'm trying to convince him, but I've not gotten an answer from him yet. I actually tried to invite him to come, but he was busy in church, so he didn't have time. But I just wanted to invite him to actually come and also talk about his whole relationship between African-Americans And Africans, continental Africans, uh, some other time, you know, maybe next two weeks or next two weeks or some other time in the future. Um, But he has a very unique, he has a perspective. Being he was raised, his parents are both Nigerians; they were born and raised in Nigeria, but he was born in America, so they raised him with it uh, come of traditional values, right? And he's a very successful young man, you know. uh, He's he's an American by birth, but he grew up in an African American neighborhood. Um, And then when their parents got wealthy, they moved out to a better place. So he's had that perspective. He's been to Nigeria before. So he has that unique perspective okay, growing up in Africa, and he went to HBCU, Historically Black College and University in America, Howard University. So he's had that experience, live both lives. He has lived in life life of like those in um, African-Americans and being an American himself. And then also having that experience with other Africans as well and you know I think you also have some also interesting perspectives as to why some of the things are happening you know for Af- to Africans Americans are happening or what we can walk around it or walk around it so that's no, so, so, no, so that's very here, interesting you know? give us start, drop us a um,
1: message please on um Instagram or something and we definitely yeah, would yeah. love to would love to engage with your friend um, but you made yeah. some interesting points I think we've only got about five minutes to go you made some interesting points mm-hmm. there about herbalism um, for example, the Dudu or some soap called the black soap these days is coming back, and it's been it's coming back into being existence now. People are actually seeing the benefits of things like that. Um, for for a long time, it was it was shunned. Um, the black soap is a herbal soap. Um, Pako is something that you know people used to brush their teeth in in West Africa, um, and that's coming back as well. I've seen some you know commercialized, you know. Um, um, adverts or marketing about why Paco has more benefits than toothbrush. And that's one of the interesting things why I want to talk about this. Um, you think about things like the Greek mythologies and Zeus and um, Hercules and Co., and they're all revered as gods of, of something. Um, and they're not actually demonized, rather, they were the literature their literature wrote wonderful stories about these gods. Um, with our literature, which is, you know, I'd say Mollywood and some of the, our writers or authors and actors don't write the best stories about this. It's not a fight between Christianity and and that, but we seem to have conflated that. Um, but that's why I want to, want to talk about this. I'd leave the floor open for the last four minutes for anyone else who wants to make some contributions.
0: So the um, I think I'm going to speak to the second thing that he talked about, which is um, <clears throat> bringing on the... Uh, guest at day i think uh, i I really wish that um that everyone would be part of our creative process meetings or when we just have these conversations because our topic comes from conversations that we as the Untangled team engage in and a lot of times we talk about things and we fight over things like yesterday we had a fight over things okay we don't I, I don't agree with this you're coming with your bias you're going to plow your judgment here and all of that so we we deliberate and argue and you know debate about a lot of things. And one of the reasons why we decided to talk about this topic, um, today's topic was because we initially wanted to talk about the divide between, um, black, uh, uh black people in diaspora or African-Americans and then Africans, because there is this, um, divide, there is this big misconception or this big, um, uh, should I say misconception, on both ends. And I wanted us to, we wanted to come together and just talk about this, but we wanted to first understand um, the struggles of black people, the struggles of the, especially African-American people Uh, because the African American struggle might not be the same as the African struggle. Yes, we are all black. We are all together in this. Um, We experience systemic racism across board, but it's more concentrated in certain areas than in other areas. In Africa, it might be about um, the colonial masters and the impact and what they did and the impact of slavery itself. It might not be as as big a system. Of course, we might, we might have like our institutionalized tribalism and the rest and even racism, but it might not be as concentrated uh, in little areas as uh, in the West. So we wanted to understand uh, what systemic racism is. We wanted to break it down. And this particular conversation is a conversation that, and I'm referring to you now, is a conversation that we will definitely uh, bring to the forefront. So, yes, please drop us a message or drop us uh, his contact details. And um, let's just talk to him and see when uh, that might be possible to bring him on and just have a conversation about this. And yes, about um, African religion, spirituality, and um, how he's been demonized. Uh, the floor is open. Uh, Uchen, I can see that you want to say something. Uh,
7: okay, yeah, um, I, to be honest, I didn't want really to say too much. but. I think um, I, I've forgotten your colleague's name, Michael. But, um, sorry, um, the the chap with the amazing beard and drinking beer. <laughs>
0: yeah,
7: Tonya, Tonya. Okay, Tonya. You you were talking about uh, herbalists as well. I think you mentioned herbalist, or well, was it Michael? I forget now. But I sent a link, which was an article about our uh, Boots, which is a big pharmaceutical. Uh, or pharmacy in the UK, they basically stole the idea of, uh, I don't know which drug it was, but they got their inspiration or they got the actual ingredients for it from traditional healers in South Africa. So, you know, whereas the rest of the world thinks of traditional healers and looks down at them, um, denigrates them, at the same time, that's where a lot of these pharmaceuticals are, or pharmacy companies are learning about yeah. all of these remedies yeah. and then and then packaging them in a new modern kind of manner mm. uh, and then it's fine so um i I think the conversation that you're proposing for next week will be great it's something that i've I've worked on a tiny bit in my work um, for a big uh, alcohol company actually they're looking at the idea of magic spirituality religion, so it's something i'd be really interested to. Uh, hear about Um, but yeah I think you're very right when I see Nollywood films and I'd love some suggestions of ones that I should watch before our conversation but (laughs) you know typically Western people representing Western religion are dressed in white there's a glow around them Mm. and their magic is always very uh, Mm. it's it's laser lights and wonderful things and the people representing uh, Traditional magic or belief systems always have their face painted black. They're always sparsely dressed, um, and it's always very, It's about fire and destruction. So, and again, that's from a semiotic point of view. That are uh, those are those things that create yeah. into mind. the influence in your yeah. mind. Mm-hmm. And I've seen. I mean, I obviously I didn't grow up in Nigeria, but I've been involved quite seriously for the last five years. But those kind of things, they just very quickly, I see the bias within that. And I think it is a, it's something which has come from a world view of yeah. how we've been impacted by the world's view of us and yeah. what the world dictates is right,
3: yeah.
7: um, maybe. So I'll be interested to be part of the conversation next week.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Whatever became of the drug, uh, the COVID-19 drug that uh, Madagascar produced? Mm. I not follow that story. Uh, does anyone know? Because I know that they created something that they claim to uh, cure the pandemic or to cure coronavirus. And every other part of the world pretty much dismissed them. Or every other part of the world outside of the African, other African countries uh, pretty much dismissed them. Um, so I don't know who, how, what that, how that ended, but it would be interesting if anyone knows. <laughs> please keep us up to date. Uh, Benga, you want to say something? So please go ahead.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, so this this topic of of um, herbals. And stuff like that is one I'm really interested in. So I really want to connect next week as you talk it. And also because um, I want us to, to be careful to divide the spiritual part from the scientific part. Right? And this is an area that I work in. So um, it's one I have some passion for. It's, it's very normal. And in fact, it's the primary way to go after um, herbal ingredients from. Different societies and figure out what is the active ingredient in that thing that actually works, right? So scientific companies do this all the time. It's what I spend tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on clinical research doing, mm-hmm. because we know that, that this is, this is, these things are not, um, they're not by accident that people use these these plants or or whatever to to um, cure themselves. But that's a scientific argument, and it's different from the spiritual argument. And um, I also wanna get, there's also another side of it, which is the spiritual versus the historic, right? As we talk about, about religions. So, you know, I think that it's interesting that we say that um, African religions are demonized, but in the same respect, you have to realize that, that uh, Christianity is not a white or Caucasian religion. And I think this is one of those things where history and the way it's portrayed um, causes us to, to, to miss the point. Christianity was was a foreign religion to Europe and North America, to all Caucasians, right? It came out of
6: it came out of
4: Judaism, and and at some point it had to overtake even the quote unquote um, traditional beliefs of, of Caucasians. And, and it took over in Europe, and people had to let go of their, whatever they believed before. So, like, the, the Greeks and the Romans and, and all the Greek myths and Roman myths that we hear about, those were their, quote-unquote, traditional things, right? And today, they even look at those as, as you know, um, what, what's the right word? I'm losing the word. But, like, they're, like, unenlightened ways of thinking, as folk tales, as whatever. And they've abandoned that for for modern day Christianity. And so I think it's, it's the same thing that happens with, that has happened with with um, us in, in Africa. I think we have to look at, at it in, from that standpoint too and say, is it an attempt to demonize or to, to belittle our, our old religions or is it simply a attempt to get after the truth? Yes.
0: But, but um, going at the the, I hear you and I agree with you. Uh, but my take and where I would uh, come from would be from the point of what was the intention of um, this particular religion, this particular belief. How did this belief show in our um, historically in our everyday life, and also uh, in the way that people that did not believe in this particular religion or this particular system, Um, how they were being portrayed and how they were being viewed in the society, was there a divide? Um, So I think I would like to come, come from it at that angle. There is one thing for me to sit down today and have that choice to say, you know what, this no longer serves me, but instead I'm going to believe in B, instead of believing in A, this no longer serves me. Um, there is, then there is the other aspect of me being given this thing, the other one being portrayed as evil and the other one being cast aside and right, this right. other one being forced down my throat. So I can right. agree to do something or I can agree to change my mind, but it's another conversation when um, a particular system or a particular belief is being uh, forced down on me to accept. So I think if we will look at it from an historical point of view, how did this particular religion, regardless of uh, who started it or who uh, amplified it, how did it play out in that context? And when we also look at uh, this person, I think uh, Nonso was saying something about things fall apart and stuff like that, how African uh, religion or spirituality was used to create more harm. Um, but I can. We can also argue the same on the opposite end of any other religion. I don't know if you get what I'm where I'm
4: coming from. I think Nansou wants to say no, something. I, I, I get what I get. Right, yeah, I get what I you're know. saying. I think you're right. Context is, is really important. Go ahead. Yeah, Nansou, no, go, go, go ahead. Yeah, so I'm
6: not um, in any way like trying to like um, criticize. Of course, I've, I've taken my time to actually study the history of Christianity, and Christian people have done dastardly things in the name of Christianity. They've burnt people at the stake in the name of Christianity. I don't know where Christ or where it was preached where you burn somebody alive for so-called, in quotes, heresy. Christians, people in the name of Christianity, have done terrible things, right? So I'm not saying that you know. And I've studied the history of Christianity. It came from you know. Like modern-day Israel, the Jews, and then they went into Romans. I think Constantine was the first Roman emperor to um convert to Christianity and then people and it just spread into Europe from there. So I know for a fact that Christianity did not was not, and we have there certain doctrines, unfortunately, that have been inserted into Christianity that we've inherited from the people who colonized us. So Yes, but I'm not saying that it's. it's um, 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 there's a good argument to be made that yes, of course, that um, Christianity is not all that is. Every religion, every religious practice has their own pluses and minuses, pros mm-hmm. and cons. No, mm-hmm. None of them is perfect, and it, it, I think it still boils down to those who practice it, right? People always yeah. have a tendency to in putting their own biases, right? Once upon a time, people used to preach to me a lot that. Um, um, alcohol, taking drink, alcohol is not Christian. Like, and they said that, they, they, that the wine Jesus turned to, the water Jesus turned to wine was not alcoholic. I was like, how did you know? Are you there? In fact, in those, I, I, I doubt in the time of Jesus, there was anything like non-alcoholic wine. You know, and then, you know, so there are so many stories, you know, even the Greek mythology in the Bible is mentioned that um, when Paul and I think, was it Paul and Barnabas or some other person performed a miracle somewhere Around Greece, they thought Paul was. Um, they thought one guy was Zeus and Paul was um, Hermes or something like that. Those two Greek gods. Right? Because people at the time still believed in their Greek, you know, the Greek gods and things like that. They actually thought Paul and the other apostle were actually Greek gods who came on earth to perform certain miracles. It's in the Bible. I don't have the exact quote, but I can find it. It's in the Bible. That they actually mentioned um, Zeus and one other Greek god. I think Hermes or something like that. So yeah, so we all know that if you look at the history, that's why history is very good. You learn from history and don't mix, learn to not make any mistakes. So I'll stop there for now.
3: Look, It's, it's, it's,
0: it's fantastic. I really, the, I really appreciate you sharing all this and you know, going all out. I remember when you used to be super quiet. <laughs> but, I like to
6: learn, I like to listen to people first and just learn. Well, also,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm here for this, Don. So, also, <laughs>
1: you, you made a good point about Christianity. Look, it still gives people a purpose in life. It it it's a wonderful spiritual access to to a God, um, and to God that that people revere a lot. And it gives it, it still does wonderful things for people in this life. So it's not a it's not a battle between the both of them. It's just to say, um there is, where is the essence of the herbalism and the, the medicinal practices that we had or things like that and why are they being portrayed in a, in a more negative light?
6: Yeah, so, I completely agree with that, yes. We, we need to like take a deep look into some of the things we've neglected in the past and see if there's some, you know, because if we can bring out, imagine if there's a traditional medicine that can cure a major ailment that's affecting the world today. Africans, African Africans will be given more respect, right? So we are talking about how to hopefully change in negative stereotypes or negative, um, um, you know, um, biases against Africans. And you know, you hear arguments of oh, what have Africans achieved and things like that. So these are some of the things that maybe we haven't looked into. And then once you start, people, you start making certain achievements that are oriented or came came from Africa originated from Africa then people have a, begin to have a different worldview and say, oh, you know, these people actually have something to bring to the table. So that's it. So I strongly agree with the point of view that, yes, I think it's about time we start taking a look at some of the things we've neglected as Africans, from our African roots, look at our roots, and then see if there's some things we can actually, um, you know, start thinking about differently. And you could open up opportunities. There could be opportunities in that area for us.
0: Yeah. So the topic is not going to be centered around uh, um, African urbanism or herbs or, you know, medicine. That's a different conversation which I've actually penned down that we're going to explore at some point. But it's going to really be centered on um, African spirituality uh, being demonized and the balance and what we need to come the conversation that we need to have around us um this has been really really exciting and insightful thank you so much everyone for joining i think we should call it a day at this point that way we can have this conversation next week